It's so good to see you guys. The youth took over last week. That's okay. I had the privilege of going and sharing at another church down in Pomona Valley, and it was blessed to be able to get up and say good morning, church, to people I really don't know, but they're brothers and sisters in the Lord regardless. But see, when I see familiar faces like you guys, it's like, I know I'm home. <laughs> and it's good to be with you guys. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, we started Revelation chapter 17, and we only got to the first six verses. And my hope and my prayer and my desire is that we will finish off the rest of this chapter this morning. So if you can make your way over to Revelation chapter 17. Um, what we covered in the first six verses last time a couple of weeks ago if you were here with us if not you can go back and reread it and just or listen to the the study of a couple of weeks ago uh, we, we got to see the woman the great harlot as she was called religious babylon if you will and we're not quite done with her yet because she is involved throughout this whole thing for at least another chapter somewhat but at least the whole in this chapter she is involved. Um, and at the end of this chapter, we kind of see um, how she is dealt with. There's a rejection that comes her way. And we barely touched on the, the scarlet beast, the world leader and or system, political Babylon, if you will. And what we did noticed last time was that a woman was sitting on a scarlet beast, either in control of the beast or the beast in control of the woman. Either way, there was this closeness between the beast and the woman. And I kind of shared with you how it kind of looked like it was some kind of a union between the two, kind of like a, a church-state marriage that was not uncommon and still is not uncommon in some countries and governments. And so it's almost like this, this marriage, but it's almost like they feed off of each other in order to dominate, in order to control, in order to rule the world. And so this morning, we're going to read the whole entire chapter. So we'll, we'll, we'll read what we covered a couple weeks ago, but we will begin in verse 7 to the end of the chapter in our text for this morning. So verse 1 says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth commit fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw the woman sitting on the scarlet beast, which, is, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with, with gold and precious stones and pearls, having on her, 
hand, a, or in her hand, a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a, writ, a name writ, was written, Mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Verse 7. But the angel said to me, why, are you, uh, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. These are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and another is yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The seven horns which you saw are kings, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. When he, then he said to me, the waters which you saw were, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Father in heaven, please, in your name, Lord, we come before you. We have read your word, Lord God, and I pray that your word would penetrate the hearts of our brothers and sisters here, Father. I pray that your word would flow through me and help me to convey it with clarity and with understanding, Lord Jesus. Let your spirit do the work, Lord, in me and through me. And let my brothers who have ears to hear, let them hear, Father, what your word says to them. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Going back to our text, beginning in verse 7, we will cover verses 7 and 8, um, and then we'll move on from there. It says, and, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? Why did you marvel? We, we, we see in verse 6 
that, that John was in total amazement. He, 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 he was in wonder when he saw the woman, the great harlot, this religious Babylon. He, he, he was so tripped out by all that he had seen and, and what he had kind of maybe, you know, caught a glimpse of, and maybe because on the outside, as he saw this woman, this religious Babylon, um, maybe from the outside he saw this form of godliness, but when her true colors came out, she was an abomination. And that word abomination is a foul thing, loathsome on account of its stench, a detestable Thing. But I think that mainly the, the amazement that John had was all the blood that he saw that would have been shed for Christ's sake. Again, it's almost like John, John should have known this religious Babylon. Because, you know, it's almost like he had written about the Antichrist, or the spirit of Antichrist. He had written about, in his letter, about false teachers and all. But here, he, is, he stands in amazement as he sees all the blood that had been shed. And to the point that she was drunk off the, off the blood. Again, he, 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 I, I wonder if the angel is wondering, why are you marveling? You've seen this. You've written about this. But I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if the blood was more than he expected. John, John had seen persecution in the first century. He was an old man. He's in his 90s by the time that he is writing this book. When he walked with Jesus and when Jesus was crucified, he was probably in his late teens, early 20s. So for all these years, he has seen persecution. He has more than likely been up in Ephesus for all his time in his latter years. He has seen the persecution of the church. And he has seen people die. He has seen most of, if not all of his, his comrades, his, his disciples, the disciples that walked with Jesus, already been martyred. He has seen it all. And I'm wondering that as he gets to this point, he's going, I cannot believe the blood that, that, that has been shed. And so it's quite possible he did recognize this false religion, this, this antichrist, this spirit of antichrist. So it's, it's quite possible that he recognized her, but was so amazed at the amount of blood that had been shed, as he's now seen way into the future. Now, I have heard that more blood was shed for Christ's sake in the 20th century than in the first 19 centuries put together. That in the 20th century, there was more blood shed on account of Christ than ever before. And now that we're in the 21st century, we are probably on pace to outdo the 20th century. 
Because isn't it amazing that today, more than ever, we're seeing more Christians killed, beheaded, crucified even, but by these extremists who, who, who are trying to, to do away with Christianity, anything that, 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 that might come against them. We, we see more of that. We hear more of that. I think we're going to see way more. And I think as, as John still is looking into our future, he says, man, they, she was drunk with it. And so he is in total amazement. But the angel is going, why are you so amazed? Jesus said this would happen to his people. Even though you're expecting something, when it's beyond what you expected, <laughs> it kind of just blows you away still. And I think that's where he's at. But, but the angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. I'm, I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to tell you all about it. So as John is marveling, the angel begins to explain this mystery to John. Now we covered the woman somewhat in detail last time. But he, he, he kind of is going to share a little bit more. And we're going to see the woman, but, but we're going to cover more of the beast today. Now I've made the comment that this union between the woman and the beast is mutual. They're, they're together. In, they're, they're in on this whole thing together. And that it's almost hard to see who is really in control. But what this mystery re- reveals to us is that the scarlet beast is using this woman, this religion. Just like most tyrants have used religion merely as tools to accomplish their purposes and their goals. In most countries where there's tyrants, they will use the people and their religion for their own purpose. They always have and they always will. We know that this scarlet beast is the same one from chapter 13. There's a similarity that we see there. It's, a, it's, it's identical to it. But here we get a better look where he is coming from. And it's also interesting that there's a resemblance to the fiery red dragon from chapter 12. Because that fiery red dragon is the one that kind of propels this whole thing. It says, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out or is going out to or about to ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Now, it's interesting because the wording here is kind of similar to Revelation 1.4. If you remember last year sometime when we were starting Revelation, when it spoke about who God is, that it says in verse 4, saying, Grace to you and peace from him who, it, who, was, who is and who was and who is to come. So the, the, the wording is almost similar in that we, we hear of this beast who was and is not and will ascend or will come forth. 
the description here in verse 8 is not so much about the world system as it is the world leader himself. In, in Revelation 13, verses 3 and 4, if you want to turn back there, we, 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 we get this picture of this beast and what happens to this beast and where he gets his authority. So Revelation 13, verses 3 and 4, again, the, the, in, in, in verse 1, the seven heads and the ten horns have, have already come up, and the ten horns have ten crowns, and there's blasphemous names. So we get that whole picture, and then we get a characteristic in, in verse 2 of, of these guys, of this, of this beast. And it says, and I saw in verse 3, and I saw one of the heads of, as of, and I saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? So, so we, we, we get a, a picture, a glimpse, an understanding, if you will, in chapter 13 of, of this beast and where he gets his authority. It comes from the dragon, the fiery red dragon that has seven heads and ten horns. And we see the beast that rises up out of the sea in chapter 13 that has seven heads and ten horns. And then we get into chapter 17 here, and it tells us that this beast... Uh, has seven heads and ten horns. And so we're, we're getting the picture that there's something happening here with seven heads and ten horns. So it's kind of telling us what's going on. But chapter 13 tells us that, that one of the horns, there the, was deadly wound, mortally, and he is brought back to life. He comes back to life. And it is because he is ascending out of the bottomless pit, the abyss, with all the authority granted to him by Satan himself. Now rest assured, as we're studying here, rest assured that this, this beast that's coming out of the bottomless pit goes to perdition, which means he goes to destruction. That will be, not might be, but will be his final end. But he comes out to wreak havoc. But it will be quite a sight to see him come back from the dead. Come back to life. And all those who dwell on the earth will marvel and give him, uh, give him praise and give his, their allegiance to him as they are all marvel of what has happened. You see, he will be a Messiah to them. He will be as one that is sent, sent to them, the chosen one, the one who has come or, or comes back to life to save them. You see, they will fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. He is the one. He is the one. But you see, all of this is just a counterfeit of what Jesus has already done. 
But you see, Jesus was rejected about that. It's just a myth that he rose from the dead. Jesus is just a myth. I mean, it, it, it is prevalent throughout the world that that, that's just, that really didn't happen. But when this happens, and it's on TV, and it'll probably be on the web, and it'll probably be on Facebook, so you know that it will be true. Right? Now, what happened 2,000 years ago? Come on, man wrote this. You see, you see, it's already happened. Messiah has already come. But when all this is coming about, it's, it's like, this is it right here. And it's like, no, it's a counterfeit. Everything that Satan is doing is counterfeiting everything that God has already done and man has rejected. Notice that it says, those who dwell on the earth. Again, that, that, that term... Those who dwell on the earth is, is throughout Revelation when it talks about the seven-year period. Those who, who remain on the earth. You see, there, there are those who have been caught up already, who have been taken out. The church has been taken out long before this. And there will be those who are coming to Christ in that time. But those earth dwellers, <laughs> it, it, it's almost as if they have already sealed their fate. And so you notice that these earth dwellers, they will marvel at the beast. But it says something really important here. Whose names are not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world. Whoa. It it, it sounds like they've paid a heavy price for that. To be earth dwellers. Now, I, I don't claim to know why some names are written in the book of life and why some names are not written in the book of life. I, I don't know why or how God figured that out. That is his sovereignty, and I don't understand God's sovereignty. If I told you I did, I'd be a fool to tell you that I did. But it's already a done deal somehow that God knows who's in the book of life and who isn't. You see, God knows all and we don't. God knows who will be saved and who won't be saved. Those who are chosen and those who are not chosen. And he has known this from the foundation of the world. And we haven't. (laughs) So because we haven't known, we preach to all. Because there's groups that will tell you why you only preach to those who will be saved. It's like, well, I don't know who's going to be saved. I I don't have that luxury of knowing God's sovereignty. But apparently they do, and I don't. But I don't don't understand God's sovereignty. So we, we will preach to all. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're in a place where you're going, and you're wondering, well, is my name written in the book of life or not written in the book of life? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Well, there's only one way to find out if your name has been written in the book of life or not. And the only way to find out is to receive Jesus. Is is to believe in Jesus. Is to come to Jesus. Then you'll know. You're going, I don't understand that. I thought we didn't know. Well, this is what the Bible says about receiving, believing, 
and coming to Jesus. In, first, in John, the Gospel of John, John 1, 12-13, you might want to write all these things down. He says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received Him, you become children of God. In John three sixteen through eighteen, it says, "For God so loved the world that he, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already." Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if you believe in his name, apparently your name is written in the book of life because you will have eternal life. And then in John six thirty-seven to 39, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down... From heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. So if you receive Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you come to Jesus, then you know if your name is written in the book of life. If you don't do any of that, then who knows? I don't. (laughs) But I know what the Word of God says. So verses 9 through 13, he says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. Here is the mind that has wisdom. I I, want to read that portion to you from the Amplified. It says, This call... This calls for a mind to consider that is packed with wisdom and intelligence. It is something for a particular mode of thinking, of judging, of thoughts, feelings, and purposes. Here is wisdom. <laughs> here is the mind of wisdom, he says. Now, now, here, as we begin to look at this thing here, the truths that are being presented here symbolically require spiritual insight to be understood. Now, the difficulty comes as to what is the correct interpretation when we're looking at this interpretation from the Word of God because the fact remains that that there has been so many various ways it has been interpreted as to what what this is or who it is throughout church history. Now, from verses 9 through 13, he gives us the interpretations of what is the seven heads and the ten horns. But who it is exactly? I don't know exactly. We could speculate, (laughs) but you really can't know for sure. But he gives us an idea of what it looks like. And that's why I try and give you different possibilities. I don't know if you ever catch that, but I I will give you so many different possibilities because 
it seems like different commentators give you their opinion. It's like, man, it could be, it could not be. It's possible, it's not possible. And so I try to give you different possibilities and so that we can gather from, from what we've already seen in history. Now, I think I, I, I shared with you in the beginning of Revelation, the book of Revelation should never split a church because there's not a lot of doctrine here. <laughs> there's a lot of interpretations. There's a lot of, wow, well, it could be historic, it could be futuristic, it could be, you know, now. And, and, and so there's a lot of expect. And so Revelation should never split a church. So the seven heads and the ten horns point to a certain place that has to do with kingdoms or empires. And for that, we will go to the book of Daniel, but not yet but you can go start thumbing to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. But many have equated this portion of Scripture, that many have equated this portion uh, of where it says the seven mountains to Rome and or the Catholic Church because Rome has always been known as the city that was built on or around seven hills. Also in this chapter, uh, some do correlate this woman, the great harlot who sits on many waters, um, sitting on the beast, on the scarlet beast, sitting on the seven mountains, also known as religious Babylon, to the Catholic Church. And, and, and again, I could see the possibility, because the possibility is there. And it would not surprise me, not one bit to know that the Catholic Church might be a part of this whole thing, but they won't be the only ones. And we need to understand that. That we're just not pointing at one particular religion and or people because all major religions, all major faiths will be caught up in this whole thing. Even Christians that call themselves Christians and were not. <laughs> will be caught up in this. Now, I want to read to you from a commentary from David Guzik's commentary. This was written a little while ago, but you'll understand it. It says, Indications about Catholic um, Roman Catholicism, ultimate, ultimate partnership uh, with a one-world religion are evident in Pope John Paul II's bizarre involvement with and approval of other anti-religions. In addition, adding, in addressing a prayer gathering of Christians, Muslims, Jewish, Jews, and Buddhists, and others, Pope John Paul II took particular, told participants <laughs> that their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. The Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligion cooperation. The Catholic Review commented on this and said, the unity of religion promotes, promoted by the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, 
and approved by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, is not a goal to be achieved immediately, but a, but a day may come when the love and compassion of both Buddha and Christ preached so eloquently will unite the world in a common effort to save humanity from senseless destruction and leading it towards the light in which it, w- it may be believed. It may all be- that all may believe. Messed up all that quote, but it's quoted. It's interesting because a couple of weeks ago when I was telling you that it wouldn't surprise me that Muslims and Catholics will come together and yet years ago we had Christians, Muslims, Jews and Buddhists and others coming together and I guess they do this periodically but it was funny because the day after I had preached two weeks ago there was a picture of the current Pope and one of the imams uh, together and how they were trying to come to an agreement on how to better have peace in the world and I just thought was fascinating that they continue to do this because they want to come together. Now, with the statement, well, as long as people believe in something, it really should not matter, right? With that kind of statement, these are the type of people that will fall for this kind of one world religion. Everybody singing Kumbaya together and saying, we are the world, we are the children. Ah, I didn't have it written down on my notes. Could have had sung the whole song. But again, this world wants to come together. Oh, many are fighting against it, but ultimately that's what they want. They want to come together. Now, going back to our text where it says seven mountains, and again, some people saying, oh, it's probably Rome. The Greek word for mountains is not hills. It is mountains. And sometimes the Bible refers to mountains as figures of governments. And John does go on to tell us that the seven heads are also kings or kingdoms. And then it goes on in verse 10 to say, Five have fallen, one is, and and the other is yet to come. And when he comes... He must continue a short time, or 42 months, three and a half years. Five have fallen. Five kingdoms and or kings had already fallen at the time that this is writing, this is being written. And that was Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Medo-Persia, and Greece. All those, had, all those kingdoms had already come and gone. At the time of this writing, the one that is was Rome, number six. And the one yet to come would be the revived Roman Empire, the seventh, the seven heads. It says that the beast will come out of the revived Roman Empire in verse 11. The beast that was and was not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and going to destruction or perdition. And that empire will be made up of ten kings or kingdoms in verse 12. Now, 
knowing that, let's go now to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, and I will read to you quite a bit, so bear with me, from verses 31 to 45, to get a better picture, a better understanding of what Christ has revealed to His people. If you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, it's a good time to read through the book of Daniel. So chapter 2, verse 31. You, O king, were watching, Daniel speaking, and behold, a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. His image's head, this image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces, then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like shaft be, uh, before the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For God, for the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you rule, ruler over all over them all you are the head of gold but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours then another a third of bronze which shall rule over all the earth and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron uh, breaks in pieces and shatters everything and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdoms will be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the, and in the, the days of the kings of God, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom with which, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever, inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, 
and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great king, the great God, has made known to the king what ha- what w- what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. The head of this image in verse in chapter 2 verses 32 and 33 the image's head is a fine gold which was the Babylonian empire its chest and arms of silver which was the Medo-Persian empire the belly and the, the thighs of bronze was the Grecian empire and the legs of iron is the Roman empire its feet partly of iron and partly of clay will be the revived Roman Empire, but notice that when the stone that that is is it comes out of the mountain, which is without hands, it strikes the image where on the toes, and that brings us back to the ten horns in Revelation chapter seventeen, verse twelve, which tells us that they are ten kings. That is where all of it comes about. That is when Jesus comes back and deals with the ten toes, as we will see in the, in the chapters coming, or in the verses coming. Um, verse 13, it says, These are all of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. If you look at the world around you today, and I truly think and believe that we as Christians should know what is going on in the world today. So that we can be in the know. I know many people are saying, I just hate watching the news. I hate to see everything that's going on. And you will be blinded to everything that is happening around you. I truly believe that as Christians, we need to be selective of what we watch and what we hear. But you need to understand what is going on out there. Because, for one, you need to understand what we are covering here. (laughs) Because if you were in the know, you will understand a little better when we're covering these kinds of kingdoms and these kinds of of, of situations. And secondly, you won't be as shocked (laughs) when we're covering this kind of stuff. Because some people live, it's like, I can't believe this. It's like, how do you not believe this? (laughs) You look at the world around you, man. It says that these kings are of one mind. And with all the talk of globalism, multilateralism, multiculturalism, all of these things that, 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 that the world wants to come together, they want to lift all the borders so there's no borders whatsoever, so we can all be one. You see, it is being preached day in and day out, and we hear it on the news, talk radio, wherever you get your news, you know, Yahoo News, whatever, wherever you go to get to your news, I don't know if it's on Facebook, but I could almost guarantee you it's not telling you the whole truth. But this is where it's headed with all the globalism, multilateralism, multiculturalism, all of this to be brought under one banner. And so from verses 14 to the end of the chapter here, It says, these will make war with the Lamb. Now, the Lamb hasn't been mentioned for a little bit here. 
These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. And He, for He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. These are the kings with the beast that will come against the Lamb. But we know that the Lamb has already had the victory. In Psalm 1, or Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, says, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and all the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break in bonds the pieces and all, and cast away the cords from us says that God or the Lamb will be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I want to give you some scriptures uh, so you can jot them down. Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord our God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. 1 Timothy 6, 17, or 15 and 16 He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in irreproachable light, whom whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him is called Faithful and True, and and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his his head were many crowns. He has his name written that no man knew except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth was a sharp sword. And with it, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the Lamb, the only one true God, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it says, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. When it speaks of the Lamb coming to finish the war that man is going to come to have against Him, It says, you see that there are some who are with him. Those who are with him are called the invited ones by God to proclaim the gospel who have obtained eternal salvation. Those who are with him are those who are chosen, elected, picked out, selected by implication, favorites. (laughs) The Greek word is eklektos, where we get the word ecclesiastical from the church is sometimes referred to as the ecclesia the chosen ones and in spanish the word ecclesia 
or the word church is iglesia. Those who are faithful also are coming with him. Those who are trusty, trustworthy, faithful, reliable. In other words, those who are obedient. So John is talking about the church here that is already with the Lamb in heaven and will be coming with him, as we just read in Revelation 19, 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I am no horse person, but I will be riding a horse one day. Get that. Get you. Let's go for it. Man, oh man, I'm almost excited. Those things are beasts right now here on earth. But hopefully they'll be somewhat tame for me up there in heaven. <laughs> Verse 15, as we're finishing off here, says the waters which you saw are on the har- that the harlot was sitting on our peoples. Where am I at? Our peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. This religious Babylon, like I said earlier, will reach every part of the world and many will follow. Religious Babylon, this great harlot, will encompass all the religions, not just the Catholic religion, not just the Muslim religion, but some Jews will fall for it, some Buddhists, some everybody, some Christians, they will all fall for it. There will be no exceptions. They will all be influenced and they will all be under the influence, if you will. All major religions and faiths will be all-inclusive. They will be under this banner. And verses 17, or 16 and 17, it says that the ten horns which you saw, um, on which the beast rode on, will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And so when the honeymoon is over for these two, the political leader and his government the political Babylon will turn on the great harlot because he will use her. And that's what happens to a harlot. They are used. And they are discarded. And that's what happens with this whole religion that will follow after the beast. This political leader, he will one day turn on her. And the Amplified, verse 16 says, and the ten horns that you saw they and the beast will be a very will be the very ones to hate the harlot the adulterous woman they will make her cheerless bereaved desolate and they will strip her and eat up her flesh and utterly consume her with fire verse 17 in the amplified for god has put it in their hearts to carry out his own purpose by acting in harmony under in surrendering their loyal power and authority to the beast until the prophetic words intended and promised of God shall be fulfilled. You see, at the end of all this, God is still in control. He is in control of this whole thing. He will give the world exactly what they want. Godless religions and godless leaders. And they will use one another. And they will abuse one another. And they will hurt the people. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. 
like rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Psalms 115.3 But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Isaiah 46.9-10 Remember the former things of old. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So no matter what transpires, no matter what happens, no matter what comes about, God's word will come to pass. Not might, but will come to pass. Because in, in, in Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. And at the end here, verse 18, it says, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So the woman, religious Babylon, the great harlot is linked to a city, a great city that great city. And most commentators are unsure as to whether this is talking about a literal city or it's a spiritual city. But that term, great city, could be attributed to Babylon, literally, Jerusalem, and Rome. So I'm not quite sure myself, but I am sure of this, that God has everything under control. God has this whole thing in his hands. He has the whole world in his hands. I have no doubt about that. I might not understand all of it, but this I do understand. He will fulfill his purpose here on earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we are in awe of your word, Lord God. To be able to read it, Lord God. I know I'm not the greatest reader, Lord, but you allow me to read it to our people. And your word told us, Lord God, at the beginning of Revelation, that blessed are those who read this word, who hear this word, and who do this word, Lord God. And we want to be a blessed people for you, Lord. And so, Lord, we need to understand all these things. Lord, help my brothers and sisters who have ears to hear, to understand what this is saying so that we might be able to go and share the gospel. Lord, you have, you have chosen us. You have called us. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, help us to go out and do the work of an evangelist, Lord. To go, therefore, and, 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 and bring all nations, Lord God, to you, teaching them about who you are, Lord God. And so, Jesus, go before us, I pray. Lord, even as Daniel kind of threw out the invitation this uh, earlier this service, Lord God, that whoever might not know you might come to know you. Father, if they didn't, Lord God, I pray that right now they would. And so I, I do want to give you that opportunity because I don't know where, where you're at this morning. You may, been, you, may have been, been, you have, may have been here forever and still not know Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity. So if you don't know Jesus... Just slip your hand up and I want to pray for you. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to walk out of here not knowing who he is. 
because he went to great lengths to save you. Father in heaven, I do pray for my brothers and sisters who are here right now, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them, Lord Jesus, that you would give them insight, wisdom, understanding of your word, Lord God, to understand what these mysteries are that we might be able to share it to a world who, who, who is blinded to these mysteries, Lord. You reveal them to us, Lord. Even though we might not know exactly what they are, Lord God, as far as symbolically, Lord God, but your word is true. And, and, and just like all these kingdoms who have come before that you named off, Lord God, these five, the one who, who was at the time of John's writing and the one who is to come will happen. And so, Lord, help us in our understanding. Help me, Lord God, as I continue to teach, to, to share with understanding, Lord, with clarity. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.